0: You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megidoradio.com. That's megidoradio.com. Good evening, welcome everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Magetta Radio for Monday, the eighteenth of May, twenty twenty. Thank you all for tuning in on tonight's program. We're going to be looking later, and later, I mean, probably about a 15 minutes time. We're going to be looking at an article that was written the other day on May fifteenth by Rachel Jankovic. I think that's Jankovic. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um. First, I might ever heard of her was there was a video from Canon Press a few weeks ago that I saw in relation to what was a fighting feminism with potatoes, <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what this is about. But anyway, so um, yeah, uh, she wrote a troubling, concerning article um, called "The Second Eve: um, How Christian Women Undo the Curse." Uh, we'll be looking at it later, and uh, kind of put it off really for quite a while, because I'll be honest, I wasn't really looking forward to reading it. Um, I got, let's just say I'm kind of deeply concerned with a lot of the stuff in Canon Press, Moscow, Idaho, that whole group, and um, there seems to be a, a fair number of problems there. And Again, this is nothing new. Um, I... I, I The issues would be largely dealt with there if um, a lot of independents would take the advice of the condemnations of many of the denominations that have condemned federal vision. But um, yeah, we'll get into that later on. Anyway, we're going to do our continuation through the Psalter uh, to begin our program. Before we get into that, hopefully a word of encouragement from the Psalter. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 17. It's a long psalm, so I'm not going to have a ton of comments. Um, I, I was wondering if I was going to read through all of it, but I am going to read through all of it just to make a few comments. Uh, the general theme that I take away from it, at least, is uh, the theme of um, vindication. Vindication and um, deliverance from our enemies, and um, it talks about deceitful lips in verse 1, and I think we're, all of us, a lot of us, because of the way things are going at the moment, and um, shall we say, a lot of there's a lot of bickering online, so hopefully this will be of encouragement to you, this is not intended to weaponized in the sense of, hey, here are the enemies, I'm just talking about. This is a generalized, when you face these types of challenges, uh, there will be vindication. The truth will come out. The Lord will uh, vindicate that truth. Uh, Psalm 17, we're going to just pray before we read God's precious and holy word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we, we thank you for this great privilege that we have, that we have the word of God in our language, Lord, that we have so many ways in which to get hold of the Word of God, and Lord of teachings, and oh Lord, may we use this time in in lockdown, Lord, not to drift from you, but to come closer to you. It is a challenging time, and Lord, the struggles that people may face, we pray, Lord, that the reading of the psalm and our meditation upon it may be of encouragement. To those listening live right now, and to also those who may be listening to the program later on on MegiddoRadio.com or else on Sermon Audio, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage your people. Bless us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read through now. Psalm 17. This is God's precious and holy word. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed That my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness, By your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you. For those who rise up against you. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who oppress me. From my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear its his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, confound or confront them. Cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, you are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. And may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. We just make a few comments on there and if you've got any questions by god's grace sometimes um it may not be pertinent to stop but please ask away and by god's grace we'll be able to um hopefully we'll be able to answer them if you're happen to be in the chat room again if you're listening to this after the program there is a chat room you if you want to listen live this program's on 9 30 <laughs> ish um monday and friday at, the, at this moment in time and uh, likely to maybe slow down a bit, coming closer to my exams whenever they may be over the summer. So, Psalm 17, the title I have here in my Bible, it says, obviously this isn't inspired, and this wasn't provided in the original or anything like that, but prayer with confidence and final salvation, and there's a certain level of truth to that, but while that is a, certainly a major theme. I think there's just also a major undercurrent as well of vindication. And in the first two verses there's very much um it may sound like the psalmist is pleading his own righteousness and there's a sense to which he is. In an ultimate sense, this is Christ. All the psalms speak of Christ. And there are here, if it's speaking of Christ, of course Christ has perfectly kept the law. But also, this is we all experience this as believers in Jesus Christ who've been changed. We've been changed and conformed into the image of Christ. We are not perfect, of course. We sin. But there'll come times when there will be accusations from people, things like that. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. So there's a sense in which throughout this, you're you're crying out, the psalmist crying out the prayer of David that he would be delivered and vindicated from, obviously, the accusations. If you see vindication, maybe vindication from the courts, maybe you've been wrongfully accused, whatever the case may be, you have tested my heart, you have visited me. And there's a sense in which the psalmist is saying is, you know the truth in your timing, deliver me and vindicate me and, and if we are facing accusations I can think of one person, a very godly person, and faced many false accusations and um, rarely replied back to them and continued on And time has a way of vindicating, even in this side of eternity. But in a full sense, that will happen. The truth will come out. There will be perfect justice in eternity before God. It says in verse 8, again, we're not going to go through the entirety of the psalm, but just look at a few of these parts. Verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. There's a, you know, the, you want protection, and where do you seek protection? See the apple of your eye. Uh, something precious. <laughs> Somebody's um already after claiming. I can see here in um the chat room. Somebody has to claim the chat room back from uh, Genevan General. I don't know what, what your real name is, but um, at E Soldier. <laughs> Um, he's a guy I know from Twitter but anyway Um, keep me as the apple of your eye hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me from my deadly enemies who surround me and we're to seek comfort we're to seek the vindication that comes from the Lord we're to seek that he would look upon us and keep us as the apple of his eye that we would be that he again as I sometimes say over and over again that he would delight in us Keep us close to him. And look at the end of the psalm. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. And wow, when we awake, it seems to be speaking of when I awake in your likeness, when will we, we, we be like Christ fully? in heaven, in glory. That's when we're we're going to be fully satisfied. That's when we're going to have full deliverance from all the struggles, all the pain, all the things we're going through today. And then that day, we'll be fully satisfied. Sadly, we're not fully satisfied, are we? That's why we struggle at times. But there'll come a day those struggles will be removed, we will be fully satisfied when we awake in the likeness of him, our merciful, redeeming savior. Okay, let's get on to not as encouraging, but hopefully we can be edified by going through it. Again, uh, I'm not hugely familiar with Rachel Jankovic, um a little bit of context, the word feminist seems to be thrown around kind of as loosely and freely as the word tyranny previous to, it, and almost as loosely and freely as the left has been throwing around the term racist. Terms kind of get overused, so we <laughs> kind of make sure that something is truly tyranny and it is truly feminism. Um, some of the articles I've read from some of the things, I'm not convinced I'm not saying I know the full picture. Um, So I'm not going to comment further. There's a whole controversy, and um, I think it would be silly without reading a few of the books that are there, and I would advise other people to do the same and refrain from commenting further. I I see a lot of things of people kind of going, yeah, this is a good review, and people haven't read the book. I'm sorry but there's just too much of I'm in the gang. If you don't know and if you can't if you can't refrain from coming to just stay away from social media completely. Um so again I probably already said too much. So um Rachel Jankovic all I know f- about her is um Canon Press, she's written a number of books in Canon Press, I, I'm, is, so, is it Jankovic, I think it's Jankovic, this is, like, somebody in the chat room asking about how to pronounce her name, I say Jankovic, that's the way she pronounced it, actually, I, I found it in an interview, I remember years ago, I had somebody on the program, and I messed up pronouncing the guest's name, and I felt so embarrassed, so, I was trying to make sure we get people's names right, but hopefully I did, hopefully I did, um, now, she writes for Desiring God, and she has written this article, The Second Eve, How Christian Women Undo the Curse, and seems to be part of this very much hyperdrived um, push in certain circles, be it the uh, canon press, Moscow, Idaho kind of guys and other groups who kind of seem to oddly connect in. And um, seems to be part of that whole thing. And uh, I have to scratch my head because there's a lot of groups that kind of seem to connect together, but they don't seem to have a lot in common. I, I think we've got to be very, very careful how we deal with the issue of feminism in the church. We've got, we can do it surgically, carefully. Perhaps somebody is strayed a little bit, needs some gentle encouragement, whatever the case may be. Um, Or we can do it with a grenade. And I would suggest that if there is going to be critiques, that it would be done carefully. Again, I haven't read, read every article. I'm not characterizing every article that's out there, but I would encourage um, restraint where it is needed. Anyway, let's get into this, um, because this topic of Adam and Eve is a topic that's very, very close to my heart. I wrote a paper in first year college on the covenant of works, so something that I uh, feel really passionately about. Um in paragraph 2 she says this um she says a couple of things that are true um there's a tragedy of course that's true paragraph 2 even this tragic introduction death and hardship to the world there is light childbearing will bring much pain um true uh, even uh, skipping on a little bit even in the curse god gave us great hope for his undoing of it true god m- made us enemies of the serpent forever but not enemies of each other. Um, I don't know what she means by that, I suppose. There is enemy, but she kind of goes, Genesis 3.15 makes enemies between two different groups. The seated woman and the seated serpent. Seated woman are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Seated serpent are those who are not. Okay, and there's enmity between those two groups. Um, I just think perhaps some of the article is guilty of a little bit of um, a little bit of sloppiness, okay? And um, something that wouldn't warrant too much. Look, you're saying, well, okay, she's not a pastor. She, You might say that, but she's writing articles and she's publishing it out there and, and it's getting out there and desiring God and this is going to have an impact. And I suspect that there's... Other people with certain similar teachings within the Moscow Idaho group is um, the Church of Christ Church Doug Wilson um, the Cross Politic podcast the big influential empire and certainly some of the things that I've read by. Doug Wilson, have been concerning to say the least. I'm not going to say too much about it here because I need to do more research on it before I do do a full critique. I'm well aware of a lot of it, but I I just don't think it'd be wise to comment too much on it here before that time. Um, She says, ultimately the curse is broken in the person of Christ Jesus, and of course we agree with that. In his death we see that we deserve in his resurrection. We see that we have been given to him. We have a final answer to the curse. But God did not undo the curse in one moment. Rather, it is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. She references Matthew 13, the works its way out slowly, constantly, without ceasing. Um, I found that kind of a strange reference, but that reference is really referring to the kingdom of heaven, Leaven isn't always referring to sin. Sometimes it's referring to the kingdom of heaven and it spreads just like Leaven. Um, But again, that's a small enough moot point, really. Um, So nothing seemed to be too terribly egregious um, up until we kind of... Things got worse and worse with the article as time went on. Um, We can't go back. And she quotes from First uh, Timothy chapter two, verses twelve and fourteen. I think it's from the ESV. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise the authority over a man. Rather, she is to re- remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Um, up until this point, general agreement, bar one or two little quibbles here and there. Um, they are relevant to our lives now because our lives now are all about undoing the curse in Christ. And I was like, okay, take a step back. Um, they are relevant to our lives because our lives now are all about undoing the curse in Christ. I, 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 mm. I read that earlier and I was just so mad. (laughs) Just so mad. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately the curse is broken in the person of Jesus Christ. The curse is broken by Jesus Christ and him alone. Fully done away with at the end of time when death is no more. Um, we cannot go back to the garden as Eve. This is um, Jankovic. We cannot go back to the garden as Eve, and and choose not to listen to the servant serpent in the first place. Just going to stop there for a second. I, I'm I I'm a bit perplexed. What she thinks is the role of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eve was. First deceived, yes, but Eve was never the federal head of all mankind. Eve was the wife of Adam. Adam was the federal head of all mankind. Now, you might have these debates of, well, if only Eve sinned and Adam didn't sin, would that mean, well, why go there? But at the end of the day, we were in in Adam all die, not in Eve, in Adam. We, I think, and this this goes back to the early church, I'm not saying this is a, a terrible view, I just don't think it's the most biblical, that we we think about the passing of Adam's sin down naturally through procreation, passed on from generation to generation. That was a view which was held by Augustine. It was called, and even held not too long ago by um theologians like Shedd, 19th century American Presbyterian, I think there was one or two others. Um, the issue of Adam's imputation to his children and to, them, to their children and all that has, um, oddly enough, it's kind of divided opinion a little bit because there's never been really an area of controversy. There's been a great book written by J.V. Fesco. I can't remember the full title, but it's the main title is just called Imputation, I really enjoyed reading. That was a big eye-opener. And I haven't seen such a good treatment. I haven't seen any treatments, actually, just on the issue of imputation by itself and nothing else. It's kind of, um, probably, there's other books out there like that. but um, So I'm curious what Rachel thinks is the role of Eve in the garden. She doesn't play any represent, re- representative role in the garden, okay? I don't want to get into, into speculation what would have happened if this happened, but if Adam sinned, everyone was being represented by Adam, and Adam's sin became the si- was imputed attributed to every single person, except for one, Jesus Christ. The second Adam would come then later, and how am I referring to that? Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 19, is very, very clear. The, The special connection between the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Christ. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. But it's where Adam failed, not where Eve failed. Yes, she did fail. Yes, she did sin. But she did not represent all of mankind. It was Adam's sin that condemned the whole human race, not Eve's. Now, she didn't influence him. obviously Obviously, she did wrong. But if we're talking covenantally, and the relationship between... The first Adam, the second Adam. There is, I don't want to jump ahead of myself too much here, but there is no second Eve. And when I saw the title, I was like, what in the world? I've seen this idea in Roman Catholicism where they think, now it's different, of course, to Rachel's view, Rachel uh, Jankovic's view, but in Roman Catholicism, the second Eve is Mary. And she somehow participates as the co-mediatrix with the work of redeeming mankind. That's where I'd heard before. Now, is it identical to this? It's not identical to this. But I've never seen this being taught in Protestant circles before, about a second Eve. There's, the Bible's very clear, again, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 19, Lord willing, we might get a chance to look at it later if we have time, is very clear. Actually, let's just skip ahead there. In case anybody's wondering if it is clear. But federally, covenantally, this is a massively important section of Scripture. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness and transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, but if the one one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God, and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ. And it goes on then read down to verse 19, even to the end as well, obviously, of verse 21, but he was a type. Adam was a type of the one who would come. Why? Because there was what Reformed theology will historically have have called and does still call the covenant of works. Adam failed to keep the covenant between him and God. What was commanded of him was perfect personal obedience. And he would obtain eternal life based upon perfect personal obedience. Now remember, Adam didn't have a sin nature. He was created mutable, he could change, but he wasn't born with a sin nature like we are. So he could obey the law of God. And in a sense, merit, and I, and this is kind of within the bounds of the covenant. Of course, we are mere creatures and God owes us nothing. But within the bounds of the covenant, God has promised based upon, now I'm talking about the pre-lapsarian, the pre-fall covenant between Adam and God. Some people say, ah, oh, there was never any merit and all this kind of stuff. Prior to the fall, and it's important to, this has gotten right because what happens is if you flatten out these covenants pre-fall and after the fall the whole idea of merit and grace gets all kind of mixed up and muddled. So I'm if you look at Genesis chapter 3 Romans chapter 5 First Corinthians chapter 15. There's a special relationship between the first Adam and the second Adam. Eve is not a representative. Adam is a representative and Christ is a representative. Christ represents all people who believe in him, who trust in him by salvation, who are in union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone else is still in Adam, has the broken law of God imputed to their account. And not only that, they have their own sin as well. They are there before God in their own filthy rags. We can't go back, she says, to that moment and be deceived. We can't go back to that first great leadership moment of womankind and make it a success. I'm not sure what she means by leadership moment of womankind. Is it leader of women or something? Not entirely sure, but I don't want to read into statements made in isolation, and we should be careful about that. Men can't go back there and refuse to follow the C uh, Eve. Um, look, before we get on to this whole male-female, Adam's sin is imputed to men and women, every single person. Okay, so <laughs> both men and women have to deal with the sin of Adam. It's not like the case that we, women have to deal with the sin of Eve and then men have to deal with the sin of Adam or something like that. Um, yeah. They can't go back and cry out to God to take them instead of their wife. They can't go back and refuse to usher death into the world. Instead, we are here after the fact. Again, they can't go back and refuse to usher death into the world. Even if we could, they'll say, okay, if we went back and said, you, you, listening, and you say, oh, that's not fair about Adam and the imputation, and uh, we are condemned because of what Adam did. Okay. Let's put you in that place. How long before you sin? You probably wouldn't last as long. She goes on to write, the undoing of this moment will be done in Christ through the obedience that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't be undeceived by the serpent in the garden, but we can be undeceived by the serpent now. Okay, I'm on to say, like, just before we get on, uh, okay, if we've been born again in the Spirit of God, we've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. The the Spirit of God has opened our eyes to our sin, and we are no longer slaves of sin. We can refuse, she says, to listen to any God really, did God really say conversations now? Um, empowered by the Spirit of God. Um, well, We've got also, uh, just one thing to point out as well, we've also got to notice the difference between Adam's obedience prior to the fall was accepted again because he didn't have a sin nature. Adam, prior to the fall, did not have a sin nature. and His obedience was different. It wasn't tainted by a sin nature. Our obedience today is tainted by a sin nature. Now, when by grace in heaven, when there's rewards, they will be rewarded based upon grace because even our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. So we can no longer in the broken covenant works earn anything but condemnation. The next section, disobedience old as dirt. What is, what is fascinating is that so many of the conversations had today over this passage take us right back to, did God, did God really say you can't preach? Well, there's nothing really about preaching. It's just from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Actually, even prior to it, um, there's the headship of Adam over his wife. God does not want you to do anything important, does he? God is trying to keep you from the great good that would come if your voice was heard from the pulpit. Christian women, she says, you must learn to recognize a serpent in these conversations. No church enriching knowledge will be found in listening to women who've decided not to lift a go- listen to God. That's true. That is true. I think it's a more serious issue than that, to be honest. Um, I think when we get to the point where there are certain things that are explicitly clear, and I think there's two signs, there's two doctrines that are held by churches today that show they've cast aside the word of God and the authority. There can be differences. We can disagree on certain things and it'd still be a true church. The gospel is still preached and the sacraments are still administered. But if homosexuality is given the green light or allowed or an add-in anything under the LGBT grouping, including with that the argument for women as elders, and I say this because I think the Bible is so crystal clear about it, that it is a sign, it's possible the person might be ignorant and doesn't know, but it is, if a church is doing it and arguing for it, I would argue there's a good chance that they're a synagogue of Satan. Uh, Jankovic writes, in the church today, we have a disobedience pattern as old as dirt, literally. Women are still being deceived into distrusting God's intention in his word. And men are choosing those women over God. This is a death path, and it has been heavily trod, and there is another path, the path of life. Fairly agree with her there, okay? Um, But the issue is over a lack of faith. The issue is over a lack of faith. The evidence of that faith will be seen in obedience. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, the last section is the one of the whole lot, which was the most concerning to me. Second Adam, Second Eve. And again, there's no biblical justification anywhere to suggest anything like a Second Eve How can we find the path of life? It is in the presence of God. It is in obedience. How can we find the path of life? It is in obedience. Offer to the God who equips us for it. It is entrusting in in the purposes. The more we do that, she's talking about obedience here, the more we do that, the more we see the great glory that God is accomplishing with all of us in him, in the undoing of our first failure in the garden. It's very much me-centered. The more we do that, the more we obey, the right way, the more we trust him, the more we grow to love him, the more we grow in our, in our knowledge of him, we obey him from the heart. And even that part Kind of concerned me as well. He is building w- with us a new garden, a, dwe- a new dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Um, yeah, but he's doing it by grace. He's doing it by grace. It's his work. Did Eve understand all of God's intention in the garden? No, she didn't. And this is why she could be deceived. Do you understand perfectly why God calls you to glorify him through acting like a Christian woman who is in submission to his word? I don't really see... Okay, there are some application, there are some things we can take away from the relationship between Adam and Eve prior to the fall. Um, if our wives come to us and ask us, man, if, if our wives come to us and ask us to do something sinful, we should say no. And we... What else could you take away from that? You could take away Christian wives, you should be careful not to lead your husbands into sin. But then to jump from there to get a kind of a second eve, theology is uh, it's it's a strange one. Um the moment is similar we and we are too vulnerable. Let's not play the role of the first eve to the first Adam. Okay. Um, But instead, take up the part of the second Eve to the second Adam. This is... uh, There's no comparison. The first Adam broke the law of God Adam failed in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam kept the law of God perfectly. That term, second Adam, refers to Christ. It doesn't refer to your husband. It's referring to the federal headship. It's referring to covenantal relationship. But, well, just okay, there's... we can be wrong in places and not necessarily get to uh, a place of heresy. We're hoping that's the case here. Um, Let's not play the role of the first Eve to the first Adam. I suppose. But what is, what is the, what is the role? Just try and get my head around this here. What is the role of the second Eve? What second Eve? Are you arguing it's the church? There isn't, is then, you can put, you can't just say, well, us, that's us, us women. Well, who's the second Adam? The men? Husbands? I, I think there's, if you want to make that point that we don't make the second Adam, if you're trying to make it about purely women and men, The second Adam laid down his life for his deceived bride. Okay, well, the second Adam here is definitely referring to Christ in her article, and that's biblically what it means, and that's biblically what it is, for an Adam all die and Christ shall be made alive. Um, he laid down his life. There's a lot... It's a very hard logic to follow because it seems to be jumping all over. He took... Our penalty. So it seems like from this article, it's, it's hard to go because like, you know, a, a short internet article without reading a book, she probably maybe fleshes it out more in a, in a book, I suppose. But the there's nowhere in the scriptures where the, the bride of Christ is ever called Eve. here's the problem. Are you, you know, because, okay, Eve caused Adam to sin. Does Christ need our help to obey? At best, it's a bizarre argument. He took our penalty, and through his death and resurrection, he's brought us life. Amen to that. Choose... Choose to remember what God has said and to joyfully obey it. Okay? Trust his plan, because through this mysterious gift of our obedience to our husbands, and again, this is what I have a problem with, this kind of connection between Eve, this mysterious gift of obedience to her husband, our glad embracing of our roles, we will be used... In the remaking of the new garden. Okay. We can all go a little bit astray at times when we're interpreting passages of Scripture and, you know, we all want people, when we critique each other, to be gracious and there's bounds of orthodoxy. And you know what? Not every... Disagreement on every passage is worthy of going hammer and tongs over. Yeah, this is uh, this is not something that should be t- taught. Okay, um, we will be used in the remaking of the new garden, the new paradise. We will, we will make it. To, women will make it through the submission to their husband which is what works your works will have something to do with paradise there's nothing she says there's nothing little about our obedience now just as there is nothing little about Eve's disobedience then is it like kind of a, a complete reverse okay Eve, I suppose the way she's looking at it is this. Eve caused the fall of mankind through her influence. Trying to follow along the logic here. So therefore, we as Christ's bride can do the opposite of what Eve did, the first Eve did. We as the second Eve, this is absolute nonsense, by the way, but we as the second Eve, we can do the opposite. We can fix that. And this is when I got really, really, really angry. I made my blood boil. And no. (laughs) What glory would there have been in the garden if he had not listened to the serpent? Um... Okay, you can say there's an element of truth there. She says about if he even didn't listen. Um, it's Adam. Adam. So it's like, okay, this is dangerous, folks. This is dangerous. What needs to be done with this article? It needs to be taken down. And there needs to be some kind of a statement to the to the to the cause. We're sorry for causing any confusion. This has kind of not been worded the best. And, um, you know, it's a mistake. And that's what needs to happen here. And nothing short of it. Because it makes the obedience of the New Eve, which is being identified here as the church, or wives to husbands, it kind of flickers back and forth, We'll just say the church. We're not saying the works or the church undoes the disobedience of the first Eve. There is no second and th- this sounds so much like Rome's view that Mary the second Eve from the, for them, I don't know if it's across the board, and I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure it's, it seems to be taught by a lot of Roman Catholic apologists and stuff like that, but that Eve played a part in her sufferings in redeeming the people of God. And we rightly say that's blasphemous and another gospel. What do we say when there's a theology that's teaching the church, this new Eve, is working towards the redemption Undoing doing what was done in the garden. The way for us, she says at the end of the, this is at the very end of the article, the way for us is to find out is through not listening to him now. No, the way for us to find out is through not listening to him now, this is referring to the serpent. Again, this is works. And we need our our law and gospel distinctive clearly laid out. Because what awaits us in obedience to God, she says, is always glory. More shocking, more rewarding, more delightful and beautiful than we could imagine. Our obedience. Us as the second Adam, or Eve, sorry, in our in case. I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, okay. Apart from the fact that, okay, Eve is not the federal head of anything. Eve's sin did not condemn the whole human race. Adam's sin did. So the argument is flawed from the get-go, but just say for argument's sake that there was some, okay, there is some influence role, but again, she's not the federal head, Adam is. The title here is this, How Christian Women Undo the Curse. Is it all Christians, or is it just Christian women that can undo the curse? How about Christian men? Can they undo the curse too? Are you part of the woman because you're you're part of the church? A lot of questions that could come up at this point. When looking at something like this, when looking at teaching like this, and when you look at the direction Desiring God, this is published on Desiring God's website. You look at the direction of John Piper. We did that with programs on Piper over the last couple of years who denied that you enter into heaven by faith alone. By, it's by faith and works, according to John Piper. I look back at overall pro, programs on that. When you look at the direction of... Um, Doug Wilson, etc., and the whole Federal Vision segment. This article isn't in a vacuum. Okay, you might say, well, she doesn't, maybe she's, she's not a theologian. She doesn't understand, maybe, covenant theology. Again, I haven't read anything beyond this article, so I'm not trying to demean or anything like that. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt as much as possible, wherever possible. So all I can say is the more she knows, the more guilt is kind of at her door here. But just say she doesn't know. Maybe she doesn't know common theology. Maybe it's a bit of a mixing up of categories or something like that. But even then, you're saying, okay, the disobedience in the Garden of Eden caused the fall. Our obedience will undo that. Okay, ultimately, it's in Christ, she says, but we play some part in it. How is that any different... To what Rome says about Mary, and is it? I mean, they're very quick to throw around the term. This a lot of this group are very quick to turn throw around the term feminism. But how Christian women undo the curse? But this is a bizarre art. It's a mess. I, I I'm not even exactly sure what she's saying. And it seems to be a mixture between, is it the church's obedience that leads to the undoing what Eve did, according to our view, or is it Christian women? If all the Christian women in the church obey their men, will this undo the curse and we'll all live in a paradise? And glory awaits those who were obedience to God. This is sheer legalism from start start, beginning and middle and end. She's influential. I saw her um, on Ali. Is it Ali Stuckey? She's on The Blaze. And um, so pray for the situation. It's. To be honest, I don't want to say too much more because um, there's I don't want to be filling in gaps that she hasn't really filled out or explained there. If you have any questions, fire away. Let's look at uh, let's look at when the curse will be undone. Um. There might be, look, I'm going to deal with, before we look into how the curse is going to be undone, there might be a few counter-arguments that may be raised. Romans 16 talks about crushing Satan under our feet, those Christian uh, Christian feet, shortly. Um, I'm actually surprised she didn't use that verse to possibly support this, but... um, For your obedience, this is verse 19 of um, Romans chapter 16. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, that, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Notice how it's, it's God. And you see, we are in union with Christ and it's under your feet shortly, and this is very much talking about the victory by, by Christians submitting to, to Christ and following Christ, crushing the head of the serpent, having victory and the, the kingdom of God advancing. But this is completely different to, re, to undoing the curse. This is not undoing the curse. These are victories in this Or it was like, well, that's what she's talking about. No, she's talking about the garden, paradise, being redone. Again, what I suggest, if it's kind of, a, oh, here's a complete misunderstanding, remove the article, put out a statement, and just said, we're sorry for any confusion caused. Here's what we believe. Here's the gospel. We apologize for causing any confusion, or whatever the case may be, okay? That's what should be done at this point um I hope that that's what what will happen at this point in first Corinthians chapter 15 when will ultimately when will the when will the curse be done away Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death. So death is the curse, essentially. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Again, in Adam, in Adam, in Adam, in Adam. It's one of the striking things about this. There is no, there is an, a first Adam and a second Adam theology, nothing about Eve. Out of Eve came she, w- the seed of the woman. Yes, she is the, the, se- the seed of the woman. And there was the promise of the deliverer that would come. She's called the mother of all living. Adam trusted the, the, the promise, trusted in the promise in Genesis 3.15. Verse twenty two in first Corinthians chapter fifteen For as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to the God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death for he's put all things under his feet. And when he says all things are put under his feet, it is evident that he's put all things under him. It is Christ who does that. It is Christ who brings in the new heavens and the new earth. There's something wrong with our theology if we think our works play a part in the forming of that. Yes, through submission to him, we will be victorious. We will grow in sanctification, this side of eternity. But not in that sense. Not in that sense. And it's dangerous. Dangerous to think so. At best, misleading. But I'm massively concerned about this whole Eve theology. Again, the whole term, even by Rachel Jankovic herself, is of feminism, has been thrown around a lot, and she claims one or two other people are feminists, and all this kind of stuff. Um, Where is this theology of Second Eve? I think for the sake of civility in the church and getting to the bottom of this, I think we should refrain from just throwing your own labels and trying to aim to vilify people at every turn. Critique. Critique. What the problem is. Because the problem is it's... It ends up being... Anybody who's a... Anybody who is anti-federal vision... Or anti neonomianism seems to have been labeled a feminist lately. And I'm like, when did that happen? So I would advise if we want to get to the bottom of this, if you if there are serious issues to be dealt with in the churches, if there are certain people who are undermining or whatever else the case, I don't know the full ins and outs of many of the churches. I, I suspect a lot of other people who claim to know don't know themselves either. Do it. On a case by case basis. On a case by case basis, not that there's some nefarious cabal that are getting together, and there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around in every single quarter, and that's that's dangerous. That's just dangerous. Deal with it on a case by case basis. Deal with what you can prove. Let's not speculate. Let's let deal with their books. And if there's some severe, if there's something really egregious, some severe heresy. Bring it before the elders of the church and see if it is, and if it needs to be tried or whatever the case may be. If they're undermining, if they're teaching against male eldership or whatever the case may be, if it's if it's a really severe nature that it's maybe that is happening, and then you take it take it on a case by case basis rather than anybody who is against the Wilson crowd or oh well that that they must be no, not necessarily. And it just there just seems to be a lot of problems defining what people mean by patriarchy. Like there's a patriarchal movement in various circles that thinks it's okay to corporally punish your wife. Okay. And I've seen that fundamentalist days. I didn't even know it reared its ugly head in reform circles. But uh yeah. So and and there's some legalism in certain circles that can be quite ugly um especially when you when you expand the regular the principle of worship to things like when you go beyond worship and you start bringing it into Sunday school when you start bringing it into youth ministry it can get kind of uh it can get into po- it can get into bad territory i mean if you're reformed Make sure you're strict about what you're supposed to be strict. And gracious. Where are you supposed to be gracious? We all fail. We all fail. And um, if in doubt. Hope for the best. Think the best of people. And if you have conclusive proof. Well, bring before the elders. If the elders don't do anything, okay, They can, then you can go down the blogging route and all this kind of stuff. Aim for civility, aim for... Look, again, with this, I don't know a ton about this young lady. She She's a wife. Seems like she might be a very nice person. I don't know. This article is dangerous that she wrote. It should be removed. I hope that it is. I'm not going to try and speculate that she's part of... Maybe she doesn't agree with Doug Wills. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't agree with John Piper. It's possible. I hope that she doesn't. So hopefully this has been a blessing to you and to your soul. If you've got any questions, Megiddo Films at gmail.com. We will return, Lord willing, Friday next, 9.30, 9.30ish probably at this point. Um, sometimes I get delayed putting my children to bed, but that's not the greatest excuse. Hopefully it's been encouragement to you. Again, please send on any suggestions for programs. We'll probably be looking at the next couple of questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism next Friday, unless something major comes up. And let's hope, by God's grace, that it's a quiet week. And, um, yeah, there's nothing really to comment on except for God's wonderful and majestic word. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.